May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here on this holiday weekend. I want to talk to you this morning uh, about this reading from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Big idea is very simple. Choose life. Choose life. The truth is we make choices all the time. Some are more important than others. Some are physical, like what you're going to wear this morning. You're going to have for breakfast. Where are you going for lunch? What do you drive? Who's your favorite football team? <laughs> others are spiritual. What controls my life? To whom and or to what do I bow and obey? What informs me of right and wrong, of truth? I think in many ways our lives are a result of the choices that we've made. Eleanor Roosevelt put it like this. She said, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die, and the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. I think it's fair to say that, for the most part, where we are in life today as a result of the choices that we have made in order to get where we are. They have been in the desert for 40 years. Moses is at the end of his time. He's 120 years old, and he's encouraging his people to choose life, choose a life of obedience to God. He's basically saying as you go through this life, there are two roads you can take. There's a godly road. There's a worldly road. There is a, a road that is informed by God's Word, His Spirit, that ends in a life that pleases Him. And there is a road that goes the other way that is informed by the values of the world which ends up not putting a smile on his face, but a tear in his eye. It's your choice. It's where you're going to go. Moses is saying, choose life. Choose life that you may live or choose death that you may die. And will you serve the Lord and live or will you turn away and die? It, I love the way he just keeps saying it's a choice, it's a choice, it's a choice, it's a choice that we make. Under the old covenant, Israel would be blessed if obedient to God. Under the new covenant, it's not based on what I do for God, but on what Jesus has done for me. How do I relate to God? I'm reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of the things that I have done, because of what Jesus did for me. But this is the old argument of faith versus works, right? And for the longest time, it was all about works. What am I doing for God? What am I doing to please Him? And the Reformation came along and said, no, I don't think that's how this works. It's about faith. It's about repentance. It's not, what about, it's not about what I'm doing for Him. It's about what He did for me. Does salvation emanate from good works? Or do good works emanate from salvation? If I am 
saved, if I have chosen that road, that God road, that road of obedience, truth, and life, then I'm going to want to do things that please him, not to make him like me better, because that's who I am now. I'm a different person. I'm not who I used to be. I am not or no longer hopefully motivated by self-interest. This is how we choose life. We choose Jesus. If we make that choice, we're going to live a life of obedience to God. In the Old, in the Old Testament, there were three uh, things. There was the sacrificial system, the dietary system, and the, and the moral law. This is what governed them. This is what defined the choices that they would make and the road that they would take. Um, the sacrificial road, I mean, it was, how do you keep track of this? You start to read about that, what sacrifice, what kind of sacrifice, when it was made, who could make it, what time of day, where it had to be done. I mean, you'd just go crazy. But ultimately, the sacrifice on the cross did away with the sacrificial system. Then there was the dietary system. Kind of treat, keep track of that one. What was clean, what was unclean? How was it prepared? Where and when? Who did it? Under what conditions? But in Mark 7, Jesus says, it isn't what goes into a man that makes him clean or unclean. It's what's come out of him. By this he made all foods clean. You know what that means? I can eat shrimp. Yes, because that was one of the forbidden foods before that. And David's there saying, and bacon. But then we have the moral law, the moral law. Uh, great moral truths are put before us, good and evil, life and death, blessing and cursing. We have the Ten Commandments, but throughout the Old Testament, these things are still very applicable, I think. This is from Leviticus 19. And the Lord said to Moses, say to all the congregation of the people of Israel, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Sounds like equal justice under the law. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason with your neighbor lest you bear sin because of him. And this is to all the shopkeepers. You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights. Very practical, very practical. But again, it's on that godly road. Am I on the godly road? Often in Scripture, we see people who made bad choices. Lot chose Sodom. Did not work out well for him. Worked out even worse for his wife, who turned into a pillar of salt. Esau chose soup over his birthright. And his brother Jacob got what was rightfully his. The Jews selected Barabbas instead of Jesus. But the good news is God can re redeem wrong choices. Um, Mike Lindell is well known for my pillow, but he's less well known for the fact that he was a, for, for 14 years, he was a serious crack addict. And 
people that he was doing drugs with would stop him from taking drugs because they couldn't stand to see him get further down the road. And God healed him. God redeemed him. He wrote a book called From Crack Addict to CEO. He became a Christian. He chose life. He began to go down that other road, the godly road instead of a worldly road. And it's interesting, if you look at the old My Pillow ads, I'm not sure you've ever seen one, but if you look at the old My Pillow ads, he doesn't have this. The new ones, he has a little cross and it's right outside of his shirt. Every ad, he's got a little cross because his life has changed. He's a different person than he used to be. You can disagree with his politics and all the rest of that, but who he is in relationship to Jesus Christ is different than who, it, well, who he was when he was doing crack. He's a whole new person. He's chosen life. We can make good choices. Let's see here. Fishing for, there we go, smaller print, oh boy. John Slatter tells about two boys, Mark and Bill. Mark was walking home from school one day when he noticed that the boy ahead of him had tripped and dropped all the book, books he was carrying, along with two sweaters, a baseball bat, a glove, and a small tape recorder. Mark knelt down and helped the boy pick up the scattered articles. Since they were going the same way, he helped to carry part of the burden. As they walked, Mark discovered the boy's name was Bill, that he loved video games, baseball, and history. He also found out that Bill was having a lot of troubles with his other subjects and that he had just broken up with his girlfriend. Mark went home <coughs> after dropping Bill at his house. They continued to see each other around school, had lunch together once or twice, then both graduated from junior high school. They ended up in the same high school where they had brief contacts over the years. Finally, the long-awaited senior year came. Three weeks before graduation, Bill asked Mark if they could talk. Bill reminded him of the day years ago when they had first met. Do you ever wonder why I was carrying so many things home that day, asked Bill. You see, I had cleaned out my locker because I didn't want to leave a mess for anyone else. I had stored away some of my mother's sleeping pills and I was going home to commit suicide. But after we spent some time together talking and laughing, I realized that if I had killed myself, I would have missed that time and so many other things that might follow. So you see, Mark, when you picked up my books that day, you did a lot more. You saved my life. And he chose life. He chose life that day when he was ready to take it. Our destiny is undecided, is I'm sorry, our destiny is decided by our attitude towards these truths. Biblical, godly truth. What do I believe? Why do I believe what I believe? How do I determine truth? Does it matter? What informs me? The Bible, self? If not scripture, then what informs you is self-interest. If it isn't God's word, it's you, it's self-interest, what benefits me. This is what determines good from evil, right from wrong for people that are on that other road. I know I sound like a broken record sometimes, but this is in the 
forefront of my thinking lately, and as I watch the world around me, as I watch people in my orbit, as I watch what's happening locally, nationally, and internationally in various things, I think godly, worldly, biblical, self-interest, good, evil. I think of God's created order, male and female. This is in the news all the time now. They're introducing gender theory to kindergartners, you know? They're revamping Title IX. This is another thing about good and evil, right and wrong. Title IX was wonderful. It was 50 years old, came back in the early 70s, and it was to write, it was to make a level playing field for women in school and uh, sports. They're redoing it now, or rewriting it, and you have until September 12th to comment on it. It'll do things like if someone identifies as a woman who's a man, they can use the shower in the locker room of a woman. If someone who's a man identifies as a woman, they can play on the sports team and there's nothing you can do about it. This will be federal so that there's no state law that can override it. Okay. If you're a young person, maybe in middle school, and you think you're the opposite sex, and they start to talk to you about it and start to do things to help you along that road with um, hormone stuff and things like that, that can be done with or without the knowledge and permission of the parents. If the parent does not agree with the chosen gender of the child or refuses to use the proper personal pronouns the child desires, the child can be taken from the parents. You didn't know about this, but this is the new Title IX. Is this a godly way of living or an ungodly way of living? Kathy says if she was alive in this day and age, in middle school, what did you say? Never play with dolls or uh, I was always chosen before all the boys to play in the different sports teams. So I couldn't possibly be a girl. And it breaks my heart when I see young women, typically who are in their early 20s, who have gone through all this when they were younger and now regret it. And what was I thinking? What have I done? Why did I do it? Why did I listen to them? Because now my life has changed forever. Despite what young people are being taught today, men cannot have babies. Said that before. And you, you did that too. Again, our, our faith in Christ leads to an obedient life. The gospel is based on truth. God's truth. It depends on truth, and preaching the gospel always involves exposing the sin that makes the gospel necessary. Very often these days, we're running into truth versus feelings. I would tell you the truth about what you're doing, except I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I really know that if you continue in this manner of life and living and the decisions you're making, you're going to fall off a cliff. It's going to be very unpleasant for you. But I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to hurt your feelings. 
But at the end of the day, what have you done? You have not helped that person. The challenge for us as Christians is to speak the truth in love. You speak the truth so that people can hear it and respond to it and deal with it. I always say, too much truth, not enough love, they're not going to hear it. Too much love and not enough truth, it's not worth saying. It's a challenge to speak the truth in love. It really is. Some people might be offended, but Jesus said, you know, they hated me first, they're going to hate you too. There's a sign over the door that says, stand up for what's right, even if you're the only one standing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Choose life. Choosing life also has to do with beginning and end of life issues. Um, again, we need to speak about those things in a biblical way, not in a political way. I will say that on the 19th of September, 8 o'clock, we're going to have a Faith and Freedom Commission meeting, and the panel is going to be from the Women's Pregnancy Center, really talking about Roe v. Wade um, having been overturned and what that's been like for them. Uh, right after that, about 50 of these women's pregnancy centers around the country were bombed or burned or attacked in some way. Um, they've been, they've been uh, described as torture chambers by people when actually they help women who are in distress over an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. It's been an amazing thing. We support that, that ministry. Again, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. I think that was a great victory. Uh, states are lining up on either side. God has something to say about all of this. There was a AAA baseball team in Colorado that was going to have a family night until it was determined and discovered that one of the sponsors of the family night was a women's pregnancy center. And all of a sudden they canceled it because people objected to that. It's a sad state of affairs. The young woman lost her father near early in life. She married only to have her husband pass away soon after. She remarried, and then her mother died within the year. She was never seen to laugh. She was continually pregnant and gave birth to seven children. Four of them died as infants or toddlers. They were born so frequently that when one died, the next one took the same name. The surviving children all bore the scars of smallpox, and after the birth of her seventh child, she herself died of tuberculosis. Before she died, the lingering death of tuberculosis, her husband became an alcoholic. He drank up all their money, and at one point she had to sell her clothes to buy food. He lost his job and drank even more. He was cruel and abusive to his children, and the little ones were often seen crying by neighbors. When the oldest became an adolescent, he became, it became his job to bail the father out of the local drunk tank. This son had almost no formal education and never learned even simple arithmetic. At an early age, he contracted a social disease, syphilis. At age 32, he was completely deaf. Chronic depression and paranoia robbed him of most of his friends. He never married and had no children. After months of suffering and pain, he died from pneumonia and congestive heart failure. If his mother had wanted to terminate this pregnancy to spare him all this, would she have been justified? If she did, you've just killed Ludwig von Beethoven, who had an awful life but left an amazing legacy. When does life begin? Psalm 139 says this, 
For thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise thee, for thou art fearfully, fearful and wonderful. Wonderful are thy works. Thou knowest me right well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. Thy eyes beheld my unformed substance. In thy book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows us before we're even formed in the womb. Life, life begins at conception and ends at natural death. I remember in seminary, there was a, uh, we were in a systematic theology class, 30 men. John Rogers is the uh, professor. We're talking about abortion, we're talking about exceptions, rape, incest, life of the mother. And everybody agreed. That was good. Rape, incest, life of the mother. And there was a guy named Kurt. Kurt was always talking. He always had something to say. Except in this conversation. And I looked at him. I said, Kurt, you're awfully quiet. What do you think? He said, well, if you guys had your way, I wouldn't be here. I'm the product of a rape. Well, that put a different spin on it for us. Because we knew him and we loved him. And he was going to be an amazing priest someday. Hmm. How about life of the mother? Got to choose between the baby and the life of the mother. Kathy's dad was an OBGYN for 40 years, from the late four to mid to late 40s to the mid to late 80s. I don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of babies he delivered. But at the end of his career, he said, I never once had to choose between the baby and the life of the mother. Not one time. Not once. This is a guy, interestingly, as a little parenthetical statement, he did two years in Korea in a MASH unit. And he said it was just like the TV show. And here he is, an OBGYN in a MASH unit for two years. Anyway. You know, you think of truth, things that are true. The later, here's the, one of the latest things. Maternal instinct doesn't exist. Did you know that? Maternal instinct for children does not exist. Men and women have, mothers and fathers have the same attachment and connection to children as either one. Is there a woman in here who's had a baby that believes that? Because I don't think that's true. But young people are trying to be taught that's true. That's not true. That's ungodly. It's just unnatural. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. The good news is over half of college freshmen are pro-life. And they're pro-life because of technology. When you have these ultrasounds that are, is there such a thing as 4D or just 3D? Let's just go with 3D. And you look at that ultrasound, and there's a baby there. And they have a head and limbs, and they're, they're moving. It is not an undifferentiated clump of cells. That's what they used to call the baby, an undifferentiated clump of cells. But now as you look at it, you know it's real. You know it's a baby. And a baby, you 
is is life. It's life. End-of-life issues are going to be next, but God has a lot. And God has a lot to say about that, but that's for another day. As I talk about this, again, choosing life, choosing God's way through life, choosing God's truth through life, and how it affects the issues of what we just talked about, life, beginning of life, abortion issues. Some of you here have had an abortion. You may be thinking, what do we think of you? We love you. This is not the unforgivable sin. And then I was reminded this morning after the sermon that men also who have been involved in that are hurting. And you need to know that you're forgiven as well. Nancy's doing this. So I'm at a conference several years ago, and I'm sitting there at a break, and a woman comes up that I kind of knew, but not really, older woman, and her name was Margaret. And she comes and she starts telling me that 20 years earlier she had forced her daughter to get an abortion. And for 20 years, she had been agonizing over that decision. And she kind of just was unloading and pouring out her heart. And I just, I finally said to her, Margaret, God forgives you. And she said, I know God forgives me, but do you forgive me? And I simply said, I forgive you. Three words. I watched her for the next two days of the conference, and she was a different person because she had heard a voice say to her, I forgive you for that specific thing that she had carried with her for 20 years. It is not the unforgivable sin. God wants us to live in ways that honor him. And when we live in ways that honor him, he benefits, we benefit, the world benefits because what we're doing in that sense is choosing life. So I ask you, please, choose life.